Welcome to Improv Interviews. I'm Margot Escott, your host, and today I have such an exciting guest. It's Dan Doomshaw from Tightrope Improv Theater. And I found him as I was exploring other theaters that are working with people with Parkinson's. Good morning. Good morning. Hi, Margot. It's so great to see you and have you here today. And usually we start with your improv story, um, and but we can start anywhere you want to go and, or how you got interested in PD. But maybe let's start with your improv story. Sure. Yeah, it goes on. Uh, that goes back further than my involvement with uh, folks who have PD. <laughs> it goes back to actually grade five. I remember begging my elementary school teachers to start a drama club. Oh, my and gosh. I have a very vivid memory of the first improv scene I ever watched. So they can I convinced them to start this drama club. And I was in grade five. And after school, my grade five and six teacher were on stage teaching us improv. And the two of them made believe together. And I remember they were doing a scene where they were watching an alien landing, you know, and they were huddled, huddled together looking at something, you know, that was where the audience was, but they were seeing an alien landing together. And I'll never forget it. I was transfixed. And I thought this, this is amazing. This is adults, you know, making believe. And then they turned it to us to play. And, and I was hooked. So when I went to high school, I looked for a high school that had a good drama program. And I was involved in theater and improv and musicals in high school. And then I went on to, uh, to university and studied theater and always wanted to be an actor. And so then I went on to be a high school teacher teaching drama. I did that for four years. That was in Toronto. Then I moved to Vancouver. And in Vancouver, I really found improv as an art form. So in Toronto, I was coaching improv and I was performing some comedy shows, but never pure improv shows. You know, in Toronto at that time, in like the... What, uh, what time was that, Dan? It <laughs> was like 2006. Uh-huh. 2000. I started teaching when I was... 2004. Okay. Yeah. I started teaching when I was 24. In Vancouver. <laughs> I, that was in Toronto. Oh, in Toronto. Where did yeah. you grow up, by the way? In Toronto. In Toronto. Yeah. And had you been exposed to Second City in Toronto? or the? Group? Well, that's the, the Yeah, that's what I was going to say. There was no real improv there in 2004, standalone improv. Second City had, of course, their famous sketch shows, and you would get treated to 10 minutes of improv at the end of the sketch show. So I would bring my students down to Second City and we would watch that. I did a practicum at Second City when I was learning how to be a teacher to connect their workshops to curriculum that was needed to be taught in the area. But but I never did see a full improv theater presenting improv until I moved to Vancouver. I moved to Vancouver in 2008. And here the improv scene was just exploding there were full theaters dedicated to only improv where you would go and watch improvisation. And I fell in love with it. And I found a group here in Vancouver for queer improv artists. Wow. And it's called, called Queer Prov. Wow. That's terrific. Yeah. And that's how I got into it. And then I got, and then I made it into the rookie league of the professional improv theater here. And then I performed on stage for seven years until COVID happened. And I left that theater and started 
tightrope with some friends. That's awesome. That is incredible. Now, I have some friends in Toronto, just a few, but one of them is Cam Algy. And uh, you know Cam, right? He's okay. the guy. Yeah, he's wonderful. And so um, did you ever l live in New York? I know, was it your sister that quilted that beautiful map of New York or sewed it behind you? <laughs> yes. So in 2015, my husband and I uh, moved to New York for him to do a fellowship in movement disorders. Wow. And here's where, the, here's where the Parkinson's comes in, right? So I met this wonderful guy and he's specializing in neurology, movement disorders, so Parkinson's. So we go down to New York for him to do this fellowship in Parkinson's specifically. And we meet all these other wonderful neurologists, these nurse, nurse practitioners who are doing deep brain stimulation. And when they hear that I'm doing improv, they say, you gotta work with our PD population. And so that is how it started. Uh, was doing I was doing an improv show there in New York that that I began there called Dirty Little Secrets Improv Show. <laughs> it, it is such a fun show. This one, Margo, you'd love this one. Everyone goes into the theater. And as you go in, you write a secret on an index card. And we read those secrets out and they inspire the improv in the show. Oh, I love it. I love it. <laughs> so, of course, we brought some of John's colleagues, the neurologists and, and folks from the clinic to the show. And that's when they came up after me and said, uh, we want you to work with our PD population. Wow, that is so awesome. That is tremendous. Now, before we go back into the PD or to the PD, let's go back to your improv career. So did you have certain teachers that influenced you or certain schools of improv? I mean, we've got all kinds of, you know, we got comedy sports, we got IO, we got Johnstone, we got Spolin. So I wondered if your base, uh, what your base was, if that's a correct term. My first exposure to improv was through the Canadian Improv Games. And this is where high school students all across Canada form teams and they compete. And they go, to, they go to the capital, they go to Ottawa for the big championship. That is the organization David Shepard started, correct? Right, right. Did you, were you there when David, did you ever meet David Shepard? I didn't, no. We made it to regionals, but we didn't ever make it to Ottawa. We weren't good enough. <laughs> Well, I have a dear friend named Michael Golding, who is an archivist for all of David Shepard's work. And it's wow. just beautiful. I'll have to connect you with Michael. He's fantastic. So that's wonderful. I've never met anybody that actually played in that. That's true. That was my first exposure to improv. And then when I came to Vancouver, it was really John Stone, who was a big influencer here. It was Keith. And I joined the Vancouver Theatre Sports League playing theater sports. And I did that for seven years where we were playing sometimes three shows a night to 185 seats sold out. And I did that for, yeah, seven years. That's wonderful. I love Johnstone. I love um, slow-mo. I think that's a game that he had, right? Mm -hmm. Slow-mo and different variations of it. I think it's so much fun. I'm kind of a Spolin person myself. I haven't explored Johnstone as much as I, I would like to. Um, but it's all kind of good, but it all kind of, you know, we take different classes and workshops and play with different troops and it all kinds of put us, puts us on our own unique road. Um, how would you say improv changed your life, Dan? Improv is my expression as an actor. So I always knew I wanted to be an actor and I was in musicals and mm. 
commercials and audition for movies and TV shows and got in a couple of them. But it was really improv that gave me that feedback around you belong here. There's a path for you here. So for me, it moving to Vancouver to become an actor, improv is where I found a home. Improv is where I found a practice. So it really changed my life because it's how I make my living as an artist is through this art form of improv. I love that you call it an art form because for me, it is an art form. I've studied different arts like um, dance and music and improv is certainly an art and it's such a beautiful art form. And when I, I only got exposed about 10 or 11 years ago, uh, but it's absolutely changed my life. And I love helping others discover themselves through improv. So now you're doing any acting at all anymore or you're devoted completely to your theater? I perform at the theater. So I'm in shows every week. I'll be in a, I'll be in a, a couple shows this week. We're doing a queer singles night on Thursday. So that's going to be a little bit of mingling, a little bit of an improv show, a little bit of icebreakers. That's going to be a fun one. So I'm performing all the time. Yeah. Oh, oh, I love it. Now, um, are you doing anything on Zoom at all? Are your shows available on Zoom? Most of our classes have been delivered over Zoom in the pandemic. And that's where I really started this improv Zoom practice. Before that, I remember the Parkinson Society of BC at the beginning of the pandemic asked us if we could do some online classes because we had been doing in-person classes for folks with PD. And my first answer was no, that improv doesn't work online. You got to be in person. There's so much nonverbal communication. You got to be with, with the group. You have to be standing in front of someone looking at them. And they said, well, will you try? And so we said, okay, we'll try. And of course, now we won't go back to in person because we've got folks joining from geographic distances that would make it impossible. And so we started that course, that first intro to improv for folks with PD. We got instant feedback that, that they loved it. And so we developed a second course. They loved that one. And that's when we started Canada's first improv performance troupe of all PD performers. That is and so that's, all, that's virtual and it's going to stay virtual. Oh, that, well, I have to come to some of your shows. I just love that so much. And we'll have to put a link to how to get to those shows in the uh, accompanying text for your podcast. That is so brilliant. I must admit, I'm a little green with envy. I would really like to get my folks doing it. And, um, and it's accessible to people all over the world. So you initially blocked the offer, but then you said, yes, and. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I think a, a block is sometimes very needed. You know, that no is sometimes very needed. And I think it's underestimated in improv, especially with new performers. We really stress the yes and. We really stress accepting offers. And that's such a good tool to learn, to listen and accept ideas. And then I think when you get into level two, it's around how to say yes to what you want to say yes to and making offers that people want to say yes to. And for me as an improviser and an improv teacher, it's essential that your partner can look at you with a smile and say, nope. 
right? Nope. Right. No, we're not going to. No, I don't want to do that. You know, and that's not breaking the laws of improv. It's not right. a right. terrible block that needs to be side coached. Sometimes that's what's needed. You know, if we're in a scene yeah. and I say, take off all your clothes right now. If you say yes, okay, well, then we're in this weird situation where you've taken off your clothes, right? It's actually better for you to say, um, oh, no, I don't think so. You know, <laughs> like, where, <laughs> where, where are we going to go from there? You know, that's, that's, that's more interesting. Absolutely. So um, are you doing some research right now on improv? And tell me a little bit about that. Yes. So actually, one of the connections from New York a, um, a nurse practitioner, PhD. Uh, it, she does the deep brain stimulation there at Mount Sinai Hospital. Uh, she reached out and said, do you want to apply to the Parkinson's Foundation for a community grant to study this improv for Parkinson's program that you're doing? And we can offer it to our New York patients in, at the Movement Disorder Clinic, Joan Miravite. And so we said, yes, absolutely. So this year we have been studying our improv for Parkinson's program. It's a six week course, and that is in partnership with Mount Sinai and the Parkinson's Foundation. So we have studied four cohorts, four groups have gone through this six class course to see if a virtual improv program has benefits for those who have PD. That is so awesome. And what kind of measures are they using? What are they looking at in the research? So each cohort, each group that takes the course does two surveys. They were using the PDQ 39 questionnaire. So this is this uh, set of 39 questions that assess life with Parkinson's in eight areas. And so they'll do that questionnaire before they start the six-week course and then after the six-week course. And then we're also measuring attendance. So how many folks come for how many classes. So that paired with the results of the PDQ39 survey will constitute our results for the study. Oh, when I was doing live classes, um, I used the uh, Beck depression inventory and anxiety scales. But one of the things was the people with Parkinson's often because of their disease could not complete the forms. How did you get around that? We have the form electronically. So it, I believe we have um, made it a Google form. So folks get a link. And because the whole class is virtual, everyone who joins either has a caregiver or themselves is familiar with technology. And so we've got a wonderful research coordinator who is studying at Second City right now in Toronto. And his name is Mitch Graw. And he makes sure that everyone who has been consented for the study fills out that first survey, attends the classes, and then fills out that final survey. Oh, that's brilliant. I just love that. That's terrific. Yeah. Um, I got to start thinking about things in those terms. Now, um, when we first met a few weeks ago or last month, whenever, you said that you were going to be training others in your methods and how to teach your classes. Can you tell me a little bit more about that? Yes, we have developed a train the trainer manual. And our dream is that this 
class, this six session improv for Parkinson's class could be something that we would bring to other areas of the world that don't have Parkinson's improv. And so with this guide, what I can do is connect with experienced improv teachers and Parkinson's societies and make that connection and say, okay, so we have developed a curriculum and an approach for how you bring improv to folks living with Parkinson's. And then we've got this manual that's got the lesson plans that has the insight into how we broke up the classes and what the trajectory of the course should be. And with that tool, we're hoping to bring improv for Parkinson's and our program to other areas. Well, I really want to take that. <laughs> I can't wait. When are you releasing it, do you think? Well, the study is concluding this month. So we've got these four cohorts that have gone through, and that is going to end now in June 2022. So once we get that study, uh, the results put together, and Joan publishes her findings, that's when I imagine we'll be connecting with organizations and teachers who want to lead the program and then rolling it out. But really, if you're interested, Margo, we've got to start right away. <laughs> got to oh, just yeah. send, send you the send you the guide. Yeah, send it whenever possible because I'm I'm so enthralled and I would love to use this. I'm thinking about moving some classes back into real time, although Florida is yeah. pretty horrible with the pandemic here. But yes, can you send it to me right away? Oh and, yeah. Uh, just Yeah, well, you know, I think it's a bit different than what you are doing because you yeah. are doing a uh, a drop-in where people can just join it anytime and you're doing it weekly, right? Yes. I love that. I love that because it's like yoga, right? And it's, and it's something that people can come to week after week and get a benefit from. And they, and it's not a big deal if they miss a week. Is that right? Yes, that's right. So last yeah. week we only had three, four people counting myself, and but sometimes we have 10 or 11, yeah. so one never knows, but I like the idea of doing, and I would like to do this as soon as possible, a six-week curriculum, so there's yeah. a beginning, a middle, and end, and I do the surveys, and, you know, we'd be part of a study as well, so I, I, I'm very excited about this, totally pumped about it, I gotta tell you. Let's now, make it happen, I love that. All right, so, um, so let's talk about some of the benefits. You know, my dad had Parkinson's. You came in through the neurology side, which is so yes. awesome. But my dad had Parkinson's and I became very involved in Parkinson's uh, association in our community. And I had also done this thing called New Games years ago. And New Games is kind of like improv. And this, I think I did it before you were born, I think, Dan. But anyway, um, it was in the 70s. And new games were win-win games for all populations. So I had that background. And I used to do a lot of play workshops with different populations before I discovered improv. And then my world lit up. So working with people with Parkinson's, let's discuss some of the benefits that they receive from improv. I think the first benefit for folks who have Parkinson's when they try improv is the supportive environment, is this idea that you are going to be listened to until the end of your thought. We've started this new practice just recently this month where the instructor now at the end of a contribution from a participant will say, are you done? Because a lot of times 
when someone is giving a contribution, they're not through their thought yet. And just because they've paused doesn't mean they're done talking. So what the first benefit is being heard is that we do a check-in and everyone who's there gets to be seen, gets to be heard, and gets to be appreciated. It's amazing how powerful that is, especially when you have Parkinson's and you are not the same as you used to be, right? People uh, have shared with me that there's this feeling in Parkinson's of disappearing or not counting for as much, or people underestimate your ability because they may see your tremor, right? And they think that it has some kind of mental implication. So this first idea of coming together and being seen and being acknowledged is one of the biggest, I think, attributes, you know, biggest benefits of getting together to do this creative work. And then once we get to that place where everyone is seen, then it's really this collaboration piece where you're working together and you're in the moment, trying not to think ahead or trying not to judge what you've done, but creating in the moment. And that ability to then jump over word search issues or cognition issues or, um, or, or delay to be able to create with somebody else is just delightful. And we talk about the speed of fun, you know, the speed of fun for you and I, it might be pretty quick, even though it's the morning. So I'm a bit slower. But, you know, I hope that we get to play a game. You said we might get to play a game. Uh, if, if we play a game, you know, we're probably going to go pretty quick. And that'll be our speed of fun. But for some of our participants in our classes, their speed of fun is going to be slower because of their rate of speech or because of their rate of processing, whatever it is. So when we're doing work in pairs, we always really reinforce to the participants, make sure you go at the speed of fun for both of you, right? And so then everyone is showing up and being acknowledged and then they're collaborating at their own speed of fun, right? And that kind of inclusion an activation of every single person who's in the class creates an amazing feeling of togetherness and community where creativity is accessible to everybody. And then we get into the really fun benefits of memory, hand-eye coordination, confidence, mood, connections, you know, all the good stuff of improv. And I find it's so different or nice compared to like support groups where sometimes they get bogged down talking about the medications and, and the illness. And this is a place where even though they have the common issue of the disease, it's beyond that. It's human beings connecting with other human beings and it's a support group. Yeah. And so, like I said, I've been doing this for seven years. Some of our members have passed away. Um, some of our people from five years ago are still playing. And uh, I think all of those, I think the speed of fun, I really like that. I had to write that down because I like it so much. And feeling safe. And I agree about uh, pausing and asking, are you done? Now, sometimes I have members that still want to do funny, be funny, or don't listen as well sometimes. Sometimes it's because of hearing and other issues. And that happens on Zoom a lot. But it's so important to go slow, to go slow. And, and people have asked me, you know, well, how do you teach people with Parkinson's improv? And I said, slowly, 
Absolutely. Um, now, do you ever, I use music sometimes as an intro because I think movement is so important. So I play and I have a friend that was a musical director at Second City Chicago and he made some tracks for me. And so sometimes, you know, I encourage, you know, there's Dance for PD, which is brilliant, encourage different movements, but especially the facial expressions because of the mask-like expression they get on their faces. So are you doing any music with your people at all? Love to start classes with music. I am the same way. When you start with that physical connection and physical expression, it decreases the anxiety for what you're going to say, because you start out with that confidence that you can move to express yourself. And especially with Parkinson's, where the movement gets smaller, or depending on if, if folks are on or off with their medication, they may have a tremor. It's nice to just get connected with the body and the movement first. We also do a class for folks who stutter at Tightrope Improv. So I do improv for wellness across a, a, a number of different focuses. And in the stuttering class, we're very intentional to always start with a nonverbal exercise. So that beginning with music is key, that beginning with music and body. And so that has seeped over into our Parkinson's practice too, to begin with a physical warm-up, a non-verbal warm-up. And it connects everyone as well within Zoom so that you can see yourself and you can see others. And we become a group when we do like a mirroring exercise, or we're all dancing to the same song, or we're all doing a body scan together, you know, so those kind of physical exercises, especially with music, it tunes us in. And that's almost like an on ramp to get to the speaking and the sharing. I think if you start right away with speaking and sharing, it becomes very heady. And everyone's thinking and talking. And so that music piece is essential to get into the body to remember to be physical. The masking piece is so, so key as well. We found that's one of the biggest advantages of doing improv on Zoom virtually is that you can see yourself. So before every Parkinson's class, we're making sure to do expression warmups and getting folks to look at themselves and be excited. Look at yourself and be sexy. Look at yourself and be trepidatious. And that starts to train internally around Here's what I have to do to my face to make it look the way I want to look when I'm happy or when I'm sad to get more expressive. And we found a huge connection between the scenes and the fun in a class and the warm up beforehand and making sure that we do that body warm up with music and that facial warm up for expression. Yes, uh, we would pass the expression sometimes or things like that, you know, or uh, what do you think Dan is feeling or what's going on with Gordon when he goes like this? So, um, oh, so in sync with you, it's just oh, exciting. Um, so now as an actor and somebody that's done musicals, I love musical improv and so I've been going very slowly with it and, you know, letting people know they don't necessarily have to rhyme, you know, but they can sing and everybody can sing as, as I believe. And so I've been doing rap games with them. I have a rap track, a rapping track on, in my music arsenal. And I just love that because that's also paying attention to the beat and with your body re resonating with that music. Um, so what kind of music games are you playing? Well, we found it 
a bit challenging on Zoom to do the music uh, and musical games. You know, we'll use music as underscoring. We'll use music in our shows between the scenes. We use music to warm up in a class. And because of the virtual nature of the classes, we haven't done many music games or singing games because games like speak in one voice, uh, games where you have to use simultaneous sound output and input, you know, while you're listening and making noise, those are tough to do over Zoom. And so for that reason, we found musical games tough to do over Zoom as well. But we'll do some some games like the do run run game or some some singing games like that we have in our repertoire but it hasn't been something that we've explored as much as we do in person well i love um sing it where they're doing a scene and all of a sudden the director goes sing it or you know and that one works really well on zoom i think you know oh, that's a great idea yeah, yeah sing it I, I love that one and I love musical improv. It's just, it's so exciting for me because I don't have a great voice, but I believe I'm the best singer in the room. That's me. Yeah, I really know how to carry it. Oh boy. So there's so many uh, benefits that we get from this. I have found that when the uh, care partner and person with PD are together, it can sometimes help to improve the relationship. And one of the games that uh, has done that with some of my folks is gibberish. Because if the per person with PD is having problems getting the words out, but switches to gibberish, where they don't have to think. And that's the big thing about not having to think. So I think there's so many applications we can do. Um, oh, yeah. I, I love what you brought up there, that the relationship between the loved one or the caregiver and the person with Parkinson's is improved by being on these classes together. And I totally agree. We often encourage folks to play the games with their families after the class, you know, so we've got we've got great partners who come back a week later and they said, well, we've been trying that game or we tried it with our grandkids or our kids, you know, and, uh, and they love to bring those games into the, into the family and into the home. And what we see when folks join as well, this is, this is often the case where the caregiver will start out off screen. You know, the loved one has set the person up at their computer. Uh, they've helped them sign on and then they kind of watch from the side. And then as the course goes on, they kind of creep on screen. <laughs> and by the end of it, they're both there smiling or sometimes even the loved one is on their own computer in another room, the room yeah. joining, the joining the class. You know, they want to get in on the fun, too. So that's always a good sign, you know, that, that this is something that people want to jump in and they want to take part in the games. And I just love when you're watching two folks in their own home who have joined a class and they start getting each other laughing. You know, they look yes, at each other yes, and yes. they then they start getting playful and and laugh. And one of them makes the other one laugh because of something they said. And it's just wonderful to see that happen because you've you've brightened the day in their home. Yeah. And you've added a loving expression of each other, loving acceptance of each other. And I think that's a big thing because it's so hard to accept something like Parkinson's because I was once a thriving CEO or, you know, I had a beautiful garden 
and the 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 grief work. Um, I actually use improv in my individual therapy. I do a lot of individual therapy, and mm. um, this morning I did one with somebody who had an essential tremor. Mm. And um, there's a lot of folks out there with an essential tremor, uh, and it's difficult, but they get through it. Well, I can imagine that there'd be a lot of issues around control with such yeah. a such a, a problem like a essential trauma, right? Because it's something that you can't control. So then you could probably imagine that people would be um, really into controlling what they can control, which is often what they say or what they think. Yeah. And when you can explore with some uh, following your impulse with improv and spontaneity, even in a game like word association, where yeah. I'm going to say a word and you say the first word that comes to your mind. And then I'm going to listen to that and say the first word that comes to my mind. And you get people going back and forth and their guard slowly comes down. Yes. You know, that, that act of their guard coming down, that could have implications in the rest of their life where they're being so guarded or so focused on trying to maintain or regain control who knows what that's going to do to their attitude towards their situation and this is what my husband john who's the neurologist his biggest outcome for improv in his patients is an ability to cope right because parkinson's is this huge curveball that life has thrown you right and your whole life has changed and with improv we take these curveballs and we say yes and to them and figure out, okay, how are we going to use these curveballs, right? That's the reality. So now what can we do? What's our ability with this reality? And I think that's where improv is the real gift to folks living with Parkinson's is around, okay, yes, I've got Parkinson's and now how can I create with it? What can I still do? I think also the... Um... Oh gosh, I just had a brain fart. Um, <laughs> <laughs> the oh, the idea of the success in a game or an exercise. So having these successes, taking a risk, doing something different, and succeeding at it is so important and validating because oh, I can do this, or I can do that, or I can be a cowboy, or I can be a fireman. I think that's so freeing for them. You know, and when you're in this world of improv, anything is possible. So we've got our performance troupe who just had their showcase last week. And they were telling a story about crabs on the beach. And the crabs had Parkinson's on the beach, you know. And so we have wow. these wonderful stories that incorporate uh, folks' lived experience. And we do one game that's uh, a joke game, a pun-based game. And it's called Parkinson's with me is like. So we'll get a suggestion from the audience, you know, like refrigerator. And so Parkinson's with me is like a refrigerator. It never stops running, you know, like this, <laughs> these, these kind of jokes. And then someone else says, oh, you know, Parkinson's with me is like a refrigerator. I'm always checking to see what's in there, you know, or whatever the, whatever the joke is. And it's great because we can poke fun at what life has given us or what causes us pain. And that laughter gives you a sense of control, but also gives you a sense of acceptance. You know, I play that game with other classes, but that's, I never thought about using that, that, you know, Parkinson's to me is like a coffee pot. Um, some days it's really black. 
Uh, I don't know. I just made that one up. So now that we're laughing, I think it's time for us to play a game. We talked about it earlier. And what's what's a good time with an improviser if we're not playing a game? So what do you want yeah. to do? So a game that I've been playing lately, a lot actually with my corporate groups. So I do this improv for wellness at Tightrope uh-huh. Theatre where we uh, help folks with Parkinson's or Alzheimer's and dementia or brain health in general. But then the other half of what I do is improv for work. So I go into corporations and work with teams and leaders. And this game I've been playing in both of these areas and it's called the chain link scene. So the chain link scene is we're going to have a scene and the last word that I say will be the first word that you say. And it causes us to listen right till the end. It always, it always exposes to me that I'm not listening for long enough, you know, (laughs) because I'm trying to solve the person's issue or trying to, to shape what I'm going to say next. Right. Okay. That sounds great. You want to start? All right. Let's have a scenario. What's the location? Where are we going to be? Um, uh, blanking. We could be in Starbucks, I guess. Let's be in Starbucks. I love it. Okay. I'm in a big rush. Are you in line to order? Ordering me around like that, telling me I might be, you're in a rush. I don't care if you're in a rush because I'm really in a rush. Rush, rush is, a, is the constant state of life right now. Hold on a second. I, I think I know you. You're my piano teacher. Teaching piano is my joy and love. Are you Robbie? I haven't seen you in what, 30 years now, Robbie? Robbie, yes, that's me. I'm Robbie, Mrs. Sandals. Oh, you changed my life. When you taught me piano, you showed me that there was more out there. There is so much out there. It's a wonderful world. And it's a place where we can slow down as well. You know, you were doing so well with Chopin. And I really loved all the ballets. Ballets, yes. We had such wonderful lessons. I can't, rem- I can't believe you remember me. I do have a meeting to get to, but I'd love to buy you your coffee. Coffee is my one addiction. I must say, I come to this Starbucks about five times a week. So, uh, oh, I meant five times a day. I was diminishing my affect. Yeah, I love it too much. Too much of a good thing is, uh, is a great thing, I think. Let me buy you your coffee today. And I'll tell you what. I would like to take piano lessons again. Would you take me up on that offer? Take you up on that offer? Well, of course I will. I'm still at the same place. I'll I'll text you my address in case you forgot, and we can start right in with um, Moonlight Sonata. Moonlight Sonata was one of my favorites. Well, this has not been a great day. This has been a grande day. Grande days. I'm so fortunate that I still have my memory. (laughs) Memories are made uh, by chance happenings like this. Mrs. Sandals, you've made my day. And you've made my day, Robbie. Au revoir. Au revoir. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, that was so much fun. I love that game. (laughs) I love it because 
your mind starts planning ahead, right? Right. And this happens all the time, all day. Your mind is planning ahead. What's next? What's it? What am I going to say next? What am I going to do next? How am I going to prepare? And that game really just strips that planning away because depending on what your last word is, it's totally going to mess up my plan. And so you learn pretty quickly, you know, don't plan, just listen. And that listening will help you to respond, right? And then, so we found this lovely relationship in this Starbucks. We started out, you know, I started out with a negative offer. I'm in a rush. Are you in line? Right. And then very quickly, we found this connection and then we built it and it just unfolds in the moment. I love it. It was fun. It was really fun. And I will give you piano lessons again, Robbie. So just uh, we'll sit at the keyboard the next time. No, I love I love not thinking when I play that game. Sometimes I'm thinking, you know, I want to give a last word that's going to be pretty easy for my partner to spin off of. That's the only thought I have. But it's so much like one word story. You know, when I you, you may I don't know if you remember the first time you played one word story, but I remember how I thought. Why didn't they say this? I, I was I wanted them to say that, or why did the person before me? And I think the one word story is such a great introduction to improv and you know flying without a net. Uh. Absolutely, it is such a great game to demonstrate co-creation because you can't do the one word story on your own, and the good one word word stories are an example of good teamwork. So people come in and they think, oh, I'm a hotshot improviser. I'm smart. I'm clever. I'm funny. And the one word story totally destroys them and they get frustrated because they want to shine independently. So the one word story focuses on teamwork and the great one word stories are when we are on the same page and we're making generous offers and we're listening. Absolutely. So it, it, it is a great game. You know, when you said to sometimes it's hard, depending on what word you end on. That's why I love saying you can take the last word or phrase. Right. And we yeah. started to do that. Right. If you take the phrase, oh, Moonlight Sonata, that's easier to start out my line with than just Sonata. No, it's a great game. Oh, I love playing with you. You're so far away. Vancouver <laughs> sounds like a wonderful place, though. Um, so uh, tell me a little bit more about your what's going on next i mean you're doing so many great things and i'm certainly going to post the link to yeah. program um before we even put out this podcast but um what's your next uh thing well with our improv for wellness practice and our parkinson's programs we have the parkinson's performance troupe and it will go on again in the fall. So it just wrapped up for the summer. They, uh, the group elected to do a six-week semester for the summer to have a bit of a break. And that was season five. We've done five seasons of improv with those folks. So season six will start in the fall. We do three seasons a year. We do uh, fall, we do uh, winter, and then we do spring, summer. So fall will be a new season for the PD performance troupe. So if anyone with PD has had some improv experience and they want to get into performance and into being coached with the troupe, they can look at the info there for our September kickoff for season six. And then we're going to be doing the improv for Parkinson's program here in Vancouver with the with the um, Parkinson's Society of British Columbia. So that six week program, that intro to Parkinson's 
improv will be happening again in the fall. And then we're waiting to hear on our funding to see if we do another year of study with Mount Sinai and the virtual program as well. Wow. Every, oh, that's so wonderful. You're truly a pioneer in this work <laughs> and doing such incredible things. And you know, the thing about improvisers is for the most part, I mean, some, I think uh, Oscar Wilde said all generalizations are bad, but um, <laughs> uh, there's a connection I feel with you. It's like an instant connection and karma. And that's because you're really a, a, a lovely person as well. But there's this instant, um, I, I feel you, I understand you as best I can. And I think you maybe feel the same way. I'm not sure, but oh, yeah. uh, it's just a wonderful world. And what you're doing to help folks with PD, um, I'm with you, buddy. I'm so supportive of what you're doing. I just love it. Well, when I started doing Google searches to see who else was doing this work, your name came up and Robert Cochran's name came up. And I thought, okay, I've got to meet them, you know, because we do this work in isolation and we have these meaningful connections with folks, but it is very encouraging to learn that this is happening in other places as well. And when we met, uh, you know, it was like kindred spirits where we and you've been doing this work longer than I have. Right. And you've seen the effect on folks and what kind of a community it can create. So it was inspiring to me to meet you and to hear about this work that you're doing and that instantly we knew we'd be helping each other, you know. And Robert is beautiful. He's such a lovely person. I've actually sent some of my people into Robert's group and vice versa. It's just a yeah. wonderful community of learning. And he's, he's getting that PhD, man. Good for him. He's coming up here next month in July to Vancouver. And he is going to do a presentation at our theater and a workshop for folks. We're, we're working on putting something together here uh, for our folks with Robert next month. Oh, that's beautiful. I'm hoping it'll Looks be like on. July 25th. Will it be Will it be on Zoom July 25th? That'd be great to see. I will let you know. We're in the logistics of it right now. He's coming through because I believe he's taking a cruise with his dad that is leaving from Vancouver. So he's he's scoping out a couple of days that he could be here for an event with us. Oh, that's going to be fantastic. He's so generous and a lovely person. And his dad is truly inspiring. I mean, they really, uh, they did a race recently where they had this special wheelchair that you could run with. And it was just beautiful to see. So that, that's terrific. Well, I want to thank you for your time. And I know we'll be talking again soon. Um, is there anything that you could say about improv to whoever's listening here, whether they have PD or not. Is there something that you'd like to say to our listeners? Absolutely. I believe that improv is for anyone. I believe anyone can improvise. The feeling of trust and teamwork in improv is phenomenal and it is so empowering. When you learn to trust yourself and trust your scene partner, then you can work as a team. And when you get that feeling, it is so addictive. And it helps with the isolation when you have disease, any brain disease, Parkinson's included, and it helps with that connection. And we have seen that in our classes. You know, I think what's more important than improv 
is this idea of connecting with others and being present. It's my lifetime challenge is to be present yes. in the moments of my life. <laughs> and, and I believe that's what improv offers us. Well, I agree with everything you've said, and that was a beautifully way to put it. And I want to thank you so much for spending time with me today. I know I'll be seeing more of you, but thank you so much for your work and all the people that you're helping out there. It's just beautiful, Dan. The pleasure was all mine. Anytime, like I said, we're kindred spirits. And the minute that we started talking, I got inspired and lit up. So thank you for your work. Thank you. So I'll say goodbye now and just loved having you here. So bye-bye, bye-bye, Dan. <laughs> thanks, Margo. Check out tightrope theater.com. That's where all of our info is at. Okay, thanks. Bye.